according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve. Everybody say serve. I thank my God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see thee. Greatly desiring to see thee. Being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hand. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Everybody say amen. Amen. I want to preach to you for a little while, and I'm going to need you to get with me. I'm going to need everybody here today to get with me. We had a great time last Sunday, Sunday before that. God's moving and God's doing some spectacular things. I'm going to share that with you in a moment. But if you'll get behind me this morning, I want you to just shout, Yes! Clap your hands in thanksgiving to the Word of God. Praise the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to speak to you for a few minutes this morning just simply. It's time to dream big again. It's time to dream big again. Everybody say amen. Most of us have had our share of trial and difficulty over the past months. But now has come the time that Grace Church needs to start dreaming again. Dreaming big again. Everybody say praise the Lord. Okay, y'all have to get behind me. I'm going to get off the runway quick on this one. So, I read a story recently about a little league coach who reminisced about his childhood years playing baseball in little league. He remembered back how during his first year, His coach had called together the entire baseball team for a picnic and he asked the team, who here wants to eventually play Major League Baseball? Every single hand went up as every child there dreamed about playing in a Major League stadium and hitting the game-winning hit. That little boy that was a part of that team grew up to become a Little League coach himself. And the week before opening day, his first year of coaching, he did the same thing. He had a picnic, and he asked the team, who here wants to grow up and play in the major leagues? Not one hand went up on a team of 12 kids. He said he could see in their eyes not one kid on his team believed that he had what it took to be a major league baseball player. What a contrast between people who have vision and people who lack vision. What a contrast. Vision is that elusive thing that desires to dream big dreams about the future. Vision has been called hope with a blueprint. Vision is what an inventor has when he or she thinks outside the box to create something new. Vision is what a mother has as she looks at her newborn baby and imagines all that child could grow up to become. Vision has a way of ignoring its critics and chasing its dreams regardless of how many people say it can't be done. I'm a living, breathing one of those persons. Amen. Consider these famous predictions that underestimated the incredible power of vision. Thomas Watson 
the chairman of IBM in 1943 said, I think there is a market for maybe five computers in the world. Ken Olson, president and founder of Digital Equipment Corporation in 1977 said, there is no reason why anyone would want a computer in their home. Consider this Western Union memo from 1876. The telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. Or consider the words of Decca Recording Company when they turned down signing the Beatles in 1962. We don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. Charles Duell, commissioner of the U.S. Office of Patents, said in 1899, everything that can be invented has been invented. Vision, vision. Everybody say vision. Vision has a way of ignoring those who say it can't be done and doing it anyway. Vision has a way of ignoring those who say it can't be done and doing it anyway. Listen very carefully. All of us go through times when our vision fades. The flame of our vision begins to dim. Its passion begins to ease and its heat begins to cool. That's what was what was happening to young Timothy in our scripture reading a few moments ago. Timothy was the Apostle Paul's young protege. Paul had sent Timothy to try to salvage a mess in the church in Ephesus in the New Testament. When Timothy got there, he found himself in way over his head. The entire leadership team in the Ephesian church was older than he was and didn't respect his leadership. And to make matters worse, Timothy was shy and timid. So he had a tendency to avoid confrontation. The stress of his ministry assignment was affecting his health as he found himself sick with constant stomach ailments. And in the meantime, his beloved mentor, the Apostle Paul, had recently been arrested and thrown into prison by the Roman government. Timothy's vision had dissipated. The excitement and enthusiasm he had once felt when he joined Paul's ministry team some years earlier was now gone. Somewhere between his bad health, his discouragement, about the church in Ephesus and his fear for Paul's life, Timothy's vision had slipped away. Timothy needed to have his vision renewed, and so do we. Timothy needed his vision renewed, and so do we. Everybody say amen. I don't want to belabor this point, and I'll say it briefly and move on. But I remember just a year or so ago when there was more buzz in our church atmosphere than you could imagine. You could walk in the door and feel the electricity. I take full responsibility, but it seems to some degree our vision has grown just a little bit dim, and I've not been very comfortable with it. And as I take responsibility, I will also take the responsibility of bringing it back. I'm going to do everything I can. And as Grace Church, and to all of our department heads, and to our leaders, and to my pastor staff, it's time to start dreaming big again. It's time to start dreaming big again. Everybody say amen. Y'all going to have to get with me this morning. Somebody clap your hands and shout yes. Thank the Lord. I've lived to regret taking 300 off of our platform, and I'm seriously considering having it put back. We need to start dreaming again about a packed-out house. It was just a few months ago we were talking in very infantile stages about what we would have to do to go to two services on Sunday morning. It seems like some of that's just kind of dissipated out of our atmosphere, but I'm ready to bring it back because Central needs a strong apostolic voice, an apostolic voice that's correct 
right and, and fair and is open-minded and open-hearted. We need a voice in Central, a church in Central that says whosoever will is welcome to come and they can be changed by the power of the Holy Ghost. Somebody clap your hands again. <laughs> Hallelujah. The first thing that we must bring back to our atmosphere here at Grace is we must renew our vision for worship. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, I thank God whom I serve. I asked you to repeat that word a few moments ago. He said, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience. The first area of renewed vision that needs to begin here at Grace is in our worship set, is in our worship service, is in our lifestyle, and to start living a lifestyle of worship. The first area of renewed vision begins in worship. We renew our vision for worship by embracing a lifestyle of devotion to God. We, we find an emphasis on worship in the word serve and listen very carefully. This is not the usual New Testament Greek word for serve. This word is used 20 other times in the New Testament. And it always refers to service offered to God as an act of worship. It always offers a service to God as an act of worship. This kind of service is never directed towards other people, but it's always directed towards God. So when Paul said, I thank God whom I serve, he's not talking about serving as a pastor or a Sunday school teacher and ministering to people. He's talking about serving God, that everything I do is built around my relationship with God. Everything I do, everywhere I go, everything I say is in total devotion of my service to God. So when I serve people, it is only a back byproduct of my service to God. And somebody said amen. I want us to engage that attitude. You don't come to church because of the pastor. You don't come to church because you play an instrument. You don't come to church because you sing the praise team or teach a class. You come to church first and foremost out of a love and a devotion and a kindness and a respect and a regard and a hallowed attitude towards God Almighty. You come because you're thankful that he reached into your life and turned it around. He's made your marriage better. You kids better, your life better, your job better, your home better. We serve him first and then we serve mankind. The kind of service he's talking about is always directed towards God. As a matter of fact, this is where we get our English word liturgy from, liturgy, which refers to the order instruction uh, or structure of a Christian worship service. In fact, we call our corporate worship a worship service because of this word that Paul used. So when you worship God, when you worshiped God this morning, you were serving Him. Not just giving Him lip service, but you were serving Him. As Paul looks back on his own life, he views his entire life since his conversion and uh, coming to Christ as an act of worship to God. I think sometimes we look at God as just another responsibility and priority on our list of many others when we need to be more like the Apostle Paul where worship becomes a lifestyle of devotion, not just a Sunday morning activity. <clears throat> Praise God. Now let me share with you our church vision about worship. As a church, for us, worship is first and foremost about celebrating Jesus Christ. First and foremost, our worship is about celebrating Jesus Christ. It is truly all about Him. I've lived long enough. I've served God long enough. I've pastored a church long enough to know that when you take the word I out of people's worship, they get real uncomfortable. When in reality, that is the true nature, nature of worship. Worship isn't about you. You only become a tool and a mechanism 
whereby you fulfill the heart of God by telling him how wonderful he is and it has nothing to do with you. You tell him how powerful he is and it has nothing to do with you. You tell him how merciful he is and it has nothing to do with you. I think sometimes we want to think in our mind that we've helped God be a little bit better because we're living for him. I want to tell you one thing. God is God whether anybody lives for him. Our whole entire focus needs to be on devotion and adoration of him and it has nothing to do with us. <laughs> Praise God. So as a church, we must first celebrate, first and foremost, Jesus Christ. It's about celebrating his presence among us, realizing that he is here with us. And when we gather as a congregation for worship, we celebrate this reality every time we come together. So here at Grace Church, we must begin dreaming again of our church having the facilities to house multitudes who gather each week to praise, honor, and celebrate Jesus Christ. Our facilities are significant to our worship only because they give us a place together to Together collectively, we must begin dreaming again of worship services that are culturally relevant to the unchurched, but that does not compromise our commitment to the Word of God. As a matter of fact, I believe that worship and outreach belong together because of this conviction. In our worship services, we speak the language of our culture, and our aim is to translate the timeless truths of the Word of God into language and concepts that make Makes sense to secularize people in our culture today. Do you realize how many people attend this church? And it's more than what we would care to think that don't have a clue as to what we're doing and why. As a matter of fact, there's probably people here right now that wonders why do you do all this music stuff. Some were raised in an environment where there was hardly any church music, if any. And most church people are taught that you should be quiet and reverent in church. So when they come to Grace and they hear drums and bass and keyboard and synthesizer and electric guitar and people are clapping their hands and waving their hands and people dance and run the aisles, they think, my God, have I just walked into a church on Mars? Somehow or another, our worship has got to be connected with our outreach so that when people come that don't understand Pentecost and don't understand our way of doing things and serving God, they can still feel comfortable. And they may look around, but there's an atmosphere here that draws them in, that pulls them in. I want to say to us, we should be convicted. We should be convicted here today through our desires and by our desires to wanting to maintain some form of worship that's comfortable for us, but that has no relevance in the lives of the unchurched. Well, I just threw a big bucket of water on that fire, didn't I? I think it sometimes shows how narrow-minded and selfish Pentecostal people can be. I want to praise and worship set at grace to be what I want. Never given a thought to the person that comes in off the street that's never visited a Pentecostal church and they're sitting around gazing, scared to death, not understanding why people are dancing and running and waving their hands and why the music is the way it is. Somehow or another, somehow or another, we're going to have to figure out a connect between our worship so that it's relevant to those who come that don't understand our worship. We don't have to get rid of our worship. I'm not suggesting that, dear God, no. I'm not saying we should change it in any great degree, but there needs to be a connect point where the unchurched and the church come together in our means of worship and everybody say amen. And we can do this with an uncompromising commitment to the absolute authority of the Bible. I'm not here to play some style of music or whatever to just draw a crowd. I still think we ought to work within the parameters of the Word of God, and the gospel will, and the gospel will work. It will work in parameters of music and singing and rejoicing, but it can't be about that. It has to be a worship with a God connect with the unchurched people. Cultural relevance is a biblical imperative, and we have to understand that. 
And we find that when we worship and outreach, when we're worship and outreach are joined together in a relevant way, that unchurched people discover a relationship with Jesus in the midst of a worshiping church. And this is happening right now at Grace Church. I still, I'm still inspired with Brother Phil Elwood here this morning. And I'll come back to him in just a few moments again. This is going to be kind of pick on Brother Phil day to day. But I've often wondered and would love to sit down and talk. And I don't want to put him on the spot or make him feel uncomfortable. But I think he would be willing to tell you that um, uh, it's been about 30 years and maybe 30 plus years since he served God. Maybe even more. I wonder what he thought the first time he came in. Dear God, the last time I went to church, they were singing out of the hymn book and they were singing the old hymns and when the roll is called up yonder and I'll fly away and all of what in the world has happened to the church. But isn't it interesting that as far as the church has moved from 30 years ago in its worship style, that God is still moving in the church. And the first time he walked up here, God refilled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost after 30 plus years in a more modern day worship-based church as we are. You know why? Because worship, worship is something that all men have in common, but it needs to be relevant and it needs to be God-centered. It needs to be with a preference about God and a preference about his work and a, a preference about his way and his will. And I thank God for that. I'll mention this again in a few moments as well. But um, uh, again, with Brother Phil, God is working in his body. Found out just this past week that the cancer in his body has shrunk 25% in the past several weeks and months. And we're believing God. It's going to complete that work in the name of Jesus. And somehow or another, Skyler has been healed of God and gained two or three pounds over the past little while. And been Braden was filled up with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's got to be, there's got to be a connect in our worship without reach so that when the unchurched comes in, when the backslider comes in, they can know they're in the presence of God and they feel welcome and they feel apart and they feel like it's okay for them to participate. Somebody clap your hands and shout, yes! Praise God. The second thing we must do is renew our vision for prayer. We must renew our vision for prayer. Our prayer meetings aren't as well attended as they used to be. Now, I'm going to tell you, don't say you don't have time. Because most of you folks have more hobbies and do more stuff than you, you have time to do as it is. And don't think of prayer just one more thing that you have to add on to that list. Prayer's not optional. Prayer's not optional. I should get more support on that. Y'all are making me nervous. You had me a little nervous with our worship part of this, and now I'm really nervous with the prayer part. Maybe I need to just stop right here and preach a little while. We need to pray. We need to pray. We have to pray. We must pray. Notice what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. He said, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee, Timothy, in my prayers night and day. And notice the continuation. This is what I want to happen to all of us here today, and I hope you can... You can understand it and get your head around it. I pray for you night and day, Timothy. And I have a great desire to see you. I want to see you, Timothy. I want you to know, Timothy, that I'm mindful of your tears. And I know how you're concerned about me, about the church in Ephesus. I know that you're suffering physically. But I know you're doing this. And because you're doing it, you're going to fill me with joy. We must renew our vision for prayer by expressing our heart to God. If you express your heart to anybody else more than you do God, then your relationship with God isn't where it should be. If you can get on the phone and pour your heart out to a friend more than you do God, 
then you're not as close to God as you are that friend. If you can do that with a family member, then you're not as close to God as you are that family member. We must renew our vision for prayer. Paul reported to Timothy how he prayed day and night for Timothy. In verse 4 and 5, we find the content of Paul's prayer that he remembered Timothy's tears and he longed to be reunited with him. And as he prayed for Timothy, he was reminded of how Timothy was converted. And it all started with Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. And Timothy was a third-generation Christian, someone raised in a Christian home. I want to stop right here and say, all of us say, that we have family and friends that we want to have in church with us. We would love to have them come to church and give their heart to God. But let me ask you the perplexing question, is how bad do you want that? How often do you express that to God? How often do you get on your face before God and you snot and cry into the carpet and say, God, I love so-and-so so much. I love my brother so much. I love my sister so much. I love my mom and dad so much. I love my first cousin so much. I love my aunt and uncle and my friends and all these people. Whoever they are, how often do you get on your face before God and say, God, I want them in church with me. God, I miss them. I miss their worship and remember. Remind God of when they converted. Remind God of how they converted. God, I remember so-and-so in the altar when they were a child and you filled them with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I remember how they used to raise their hands and clap their hands. I remember they used to teach Sunday school and I remember how they used to be an usher and I remember how they used to lead the service. Our area is filled with your friends and mine that once served God at one time, but something happened. And they're not going to church anywhere anymore. I think it's time that we renew our vision and prayer and say, God, I remember when you filled them up. I remember when you rescued them. I remember when you delivered them. And God, I miss them. God, I miss them in church with me. I had a short but high-impact conversation just this morning with my sister about our brother who backslid years ago. He's not getting any younger. And we both have recognized, Sister Bunch and I have recognized, that things are kind of starting to fall apart in his life and there's people around him that are passing on and He's nervous because deep down inside he knows he's not really right with God. I remember, and I've told God this. I remember sitting in front of him in church when I was a kid and listening to him sing some old songs that we used to sing. And I'll be honest with you, and I don't want to be mean, but he can't sing worth a flip. He's all over the map, man. Couldn't carry a tune in the proverbial bucket with a handle on it. But I want to hear that voice again. I don't care how bad it is. I miss him in church. And I want God to know that I miss him. I want him to know that I miss him. And now that he's embarking on the age of 70, only has a few years to go and he'll cross that mark. I'm not giving up. I don't know how long it's been, uh, Sister Bunch, that he was in church. I guess maybe as I remember, maybe the mid to late 60s since he's attended church regular. But that don't mean anything. Phil Elwood, you have no idea the inspiration you've been. If God, if God can do it for Brother Phil, he can do it for my brother. He can do it for my brother. Not only has Brother Phil been an inspiration, but Sister Christie's been an inspiration. She's been a different person since he's been coming. Her smile is just a little bit broader across her face. She told me with her eyes brimmed up with tears a few weeks ago, she said, you don't know what it means to have my dad back in church worshiping God. She said, we've prayed for this virtually all of my life. You know, Christy's getting close to 40 now. Not really. I'm just teasing. Her hubby's already crossed that mark. Ha, 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 ha. 
But can you imagine? I watched her this morning when the praise team was singing. Her hands was waving. Looked like windshield wipers back there. Watch it. Waving, waving, jumping up and down. And I'm like, I would jump too if my brother was here. We need to renew our vision and prayer. It's not just lip service, and it's not words that just bounce off the ceiling. But my Bible said that our prayers never die. They are an everlasting memorial before God of fragrance and an incense in the throne of God. It makes God have a good-smelling atmosphere is what our prayers do, and they never die, and they never go away. If somebody could get a hold of this this morning and renew your prayer life and determine, Brother Billy, we're going to push, and we're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep pushing. And we're going to talk to God about people, not me. We're going to start praying about others. We're going to start praying more for others and less about me. And if we will, God will bring the others and he'll take care of me. Hallelujah to God. Praise God. So if you know someone that's unchurched or a backslider that you would love to have sitting beside you, why don't you start telling God about it? What Paul does here is simply pour his heart out to God. And it seems like more and more we hear of gimmicks about prayer, how you can pray short prayers and how you can pray easy prayers. And bottom line, it's a prayer life that becomes all about us. But I still believe if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then we'll hear from heaven. And God will work among us in ways that we never dreamed. I still believe today that the fervent prayer of a righteous man, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, first of all, prayer. And we must renew our vision. Prayer. Dream big when you pray. Don't ask God for an anthill. Ask him for the Empire State Building. Dream big when you pray. We sum up the prayer part of our vision as pursuing God's heart. We must believe that God wants our church to be a church where our passion for God and God's purposes inspire us to believe Him for the impossible. In the 20 years as your pastor, I've never been a play-it-safe kind of pastor. In each church, each chapter of our history... God called us out of our comfort zones to new steps of faith. And I still believe Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 that says, Now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we're able to ask or think according to the power that works in us, we must renew our vision and prayer. We must renew our vision in prayer. Nothing we do should begin without a prayer focus. Everybody say amen. Renewing our vision for prayer. Let's take just a moment here. Let's take just a moment. I want to ask you to bow your head and, and pray. God would speak to us. Well, can anybody pray? I don't hear a sound. Let's pray and talk to the Lord right now. God, I pray that you would speak to this church, that you would help us to realize we've got to get back, oh God, to where we once were and then move forward beyond that. We can't be satisfied and contented with where we are. We must be a church with a renewed vision in prayer in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You believe God's hearing you right now? Does anybody believe that God is hearing you right now? Praise God. Praise God. We must believe that God wants our church to be filled each week with a constantly expanding multitude of growing Christian people who are learning how to walk with God and daily intimacy. That's really the heart of prayer. Daily intimacy with God. Where we share our heart with Him. And He shares His heart with us. 
This is what the Bible means by abiding in Christ, remind, remaining in his love and being constantly aware of his presence. We must dream of our church being a house of prayer, a place where prayer provides a foundation for every ministry we're involved in. Somebody said prayer doesn't prepare us for the battle. Prayer is the battle. The third thing that we must start dreaming about, big about at Grace is we must renew our vision for service. Paul said to Timothy, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God. You stir it up. You stir it up. For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. God had given Timothy all the equipment he needed to be effective as a child of God. But the fire of God's gift in Timothy's life was going out. He had become like a fire in the fireplace when no new wood has been added for a while. The flame wasn't burning anymore, but instead there was a glowing ember that's gradually losing its heat. Paul encourages Timothy to fan the flame, if you will. Fan the flame of your gift so it once again burns brightly with intensity. The way we fan the flame of our spiritual gifts is by using them. The flame loses its blaze through lack of use and we gradually, our gifts become glowing embers and we fuel the fire again when we start using our gifts again. This is what I want you to see in this part of this message. We can see by Paul's words and the way he's talking to Timothy that fear was holding Timothy back from using his gifts. The word fear, when Paul said, God has not given you a spirit of fear, the word there is actually timid. God isn't making you timid. God doesn't make you shy. God doesn't make you uncomfortable in talking to people. You have to overcome that. You have to stir up that gift of God, that passion, that desire, and you overcome your shyness. So you could say that God has not given us a spirit of being timid. It's a state of fear because of cowardice. Or lack of moral strength. Paul tells Timothy that this timid fear doesn't come from God. But what comes from God is an attitude of power, love, and a sound mind, which is actually self-discipline. You discipline yourself not to be afraid. You discipline yourself not to be timid. In other words, you make yourself do it. It's like the kid that wants to go to home plate and bat for his team, but he's scared. Mom and dad is standing behind him saying, you can do it, go on, you can do it, you can do it. Some parents will go to the extreme and say, I'll whip you if you don't. That's a pretty good motivator. But if you can ever get people to cross that threshold and understand that you don't have to be afraid, you don't have to be timid, you don't have to be shy, but you can open your mouth through self-discipline when God stirs up that gift and you begin to use that gift. Power is a capacity to face our fears and use our gifts even when we are nervous and afraid. Love is a capacity to express God's love through our gifting when we use it. A sound mind or self-discipline is the courage to go forward even when we're timid and fearful. Do you need your vision for service renewed? If you do, then step out of your comfort zone and begin using the gifts that God has put on the inside of you. It will help you renew your vision for service. Well, y'all can sit there and look at me like Brooke Trout all you want, but you'll always get the same old thing if you keep doing what you've always done. If you want something to change and be different in your life, then you have to step up to the plate, let somebody pitch you a curveball, and you swing with all you've got. And if you miss it, you swing again. And if you miss it, 
You swing again. You're looking at a man who has practiced these things and implemented these things virtually all my life. So our church vision about service is some, could be summed up something like this. Every member of grace is a minister. Everyone is. We must believe that every single follower of Christ is called and ordained by God as a minister of Christ. Ministry is not the exclusive property of the pastor, but it belongs actually to the people. Grace Church of Central is a congregation with close to 200 ministers, not members, ministers. Because close to 200 people consider this their church home, adults and children, men, women, new Christians, mature Christians, every single one. Every single one of you is a minister of God. And I dream of a church where our members truly see themselves as God's members, ministers. And they are sacrificially investing their gifts, talents, and resources to make God's vision for this church become a reality. And I want to tell you something. All of those of you, all of you, that say, I can't do X, Y, Z at church, but you do ten times more than that on your job and in your hobbies. I pray that you feel convicted. You shouldn't be more on your job than you are at church. As a matter of fact, I teach and I believe that if God has given you any gifts at all, they're to be used for the kingdom first, and then you use them for your job. Okay, whether you believe that or not, everybody say amen. I feel like I'm preaching to the first church of the frigid air this morning. <clears throat> We're all ministers. We're all ministers. And if you want God to use you, then you've got to take a step forward and say, God, here I am. And I realize that this is a huge paradigm shift for most Christian people. But we must start seeing ourselves as ministers. We must dream of our church becoming an incubator for fresh ministry ideas, continually launching new ministries that make a real difference in the lives of both Christians and non-Christian people. We have an understanding here at Grace. Listen very carefully. Whenever a person comes and says, you know, Pastor, we really need to have a ministry that does X, Y, Z. You know what my response is usually? You're right. And you're it. Is my microphone working here this morning? Y'all are my word. I hadn't seen it like this in a long time. You're making me want to preach another hour. If I was you, I'd smile, do something. <laughs> there are several people here this morning. Brother Murphy, I have a great idea. Good, do it. <clears throat> Don't tell me about it. You do it. I've got enough ideas of my own to develop. So you develop yours, and you develop yours, and you develop yours, and we'll have a blowing and going church here after a while if people would be willing to use their gifts for the kingdom of God first. And if you do it on your job and don't do it at church, I hope God will speak to you right now. Can I preach for a moment? We are desperate for Sunday school teachers, and we have people here that teach school and college and teach this and that, but I just can't do it at church. Why? Your job would be better if you'd do it at church first. Okay, I'm fixing to turn off my iPad, and we'll try this another time. God didn't give you a gift to make you a lot of money. He gave you a gift to benefit the kingdom. And then you can make your money. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. <clears throat> well, I'll move on. I'm not done with that point, but I'm going to move on, and I'll be back. <clears throat> the fourth thing we, we must do, and I'll conclude with this point. So all of you can exhale now and say that's over. <clears throat> but it's not. Brother Gary, Sister Ashley, and others, we must renew our vision for outreach. Everybody say amen. amen. We must renew our vision for outreach.
by testifying about Jesus. We as Christian people oftentimes are tempted to be ashamed of Jesus. We're tempted to hide our witness about Jesus, to keep our faith in Christ hidden inside our hearts and our church rather than letting it flow out into our words and into our actions. Do you need your vision for outreach renewed? Notice once again that this doesn't come from a special evangelism seminar or a book. It comes through facing our fears and testifying about Jesus. That's how you renew your vision for outreach. You just open your mouth and you start doing it. We've been seminarized for years, and it's really accomplished nothing. We need to just open our mouth and testify about the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes through facing our fears and testifying about Jesus. This means putting into words how Jesus has changed our life. It means sharing with those around us the good news of Christ, about his life, death, and resurrection. It means building relationships with unchurched people so we can shine as lights in their lives. I just met a man named Patrick. Patrick is a friend of Aaron Duran. He told Aaron a few weeks ago that he was pretty discouraged with his church. He's not Pentecostal. He's not apostolic. It's another denomination. I'm not happy. We started a Bible study with Patrick. Brother Aaron and I have. And this past Friday night, I texted Aaron, listen very carefully. And I said, are we having Bible study this coming Tuesday night? He texted back and said, I don't know, but I'm having dinner with Patrick and his family tomorrow night. I'll confirm and let you know. You know what he's doing? You know what he's doing? Does anybody have a clue as to what he's doing? He's trying to win this family. But he's not going to do it by just inviting them to church. He's going to host a Bible study in his home, and we've already started that. And he's going out to eat dinner with them, and he's building a relationship with unchurched people. We need about 25 more people to start doing that. Get off your lazy rump. And call a friend and say, let's go have dinner. You can do that with a backslider. You can do that with an unchurched person, somebody that's not happy with their denominal church. You can do it with anybody. And it's really not that hard to do. And you'll get home feeling so fulfilled, you won't know what to do. You ought to do that instead of sitting around, poor-mouthing, saying how horrible your life is and how bad you hurt and how bad your aches and pains are and how much money you don't have and what work needs to be doing. Won't you do something worthwhile and profitable and establish a relationship with somebody that needs God? Michelle Stokes called me yesterday. She was asked to sing yesterday at an event that was called Spring 2014 West Baton Rouge Youth Empowerment Day. It's an outreach that is designed to assist young people in finding help for the various conflicts in their lives, but to ultimately introduce them to Jesus. A man she works with asked her, do you sing gospel songs? And she said, that's all I say. She said while she was singing yesterday that there were moms there with their hands in the air, tears in their eyes, worshiping God. And now she's been asked to serve on the committee to plan the next meeting they're going to have this coming fall. And I'd love to try to bring some of that to our area and to Central. And maybe we can work towards that. Now I'm going to be very careful here. But Michelle has some huge issues going on in her life. But she's decided. She's decided. I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm not going to let that hinder me. I'm going to get up and sing when I don't feel like singing. And I may not be in the mood to do it. And she's excited about it. And I'm excited for her. I want to tell you folks here this morning, if we can start building relationships with people that are unchurched and even those in the nominal world, instead of just sitting around talking on the phone and texting and doing Facebook nonsense, we can move the kingdom forward. I want to say today, we've got services coming up. Friend Day, Brother Holland, Easter Sunday. These are golden opportunities and the time to start working on that is now. We can pack this building 
if we'd make up our mind to do it. It's time to start dreaming again. Big. Gary McDonald told me yesterday that his goal for Grace Reach was a van full of kids from Baker Central, the old Neil Lane area, and the Denham Springs Walker area. We'll need another van or two. And he said, we'll need four to six drivers. I'm going to step out on faith and tell him, go ahead and do it. Everybody say amen. amen. Let's go ahead and do it. I don't know what we'll do for vans and drivers, but we'll do it. We'll figure it out. Brother Cox ordained a young man Thursday night at district conference. Brother Cox, our district superintendent of Louisiana, has always been in the bus ministry, Grace Reach as we call it. I don't like bus ministry. I like Grace Reach. And uh, he's always been in that. As district secretary of our state, he drove a bus every Sunday morning for the POA. People would tell him, you're too busy. And you've got that uppity job now. And you need to give up that bus. And he tells him, get out of my bus. You're not even welcome on my bus with that kind of attitude. I'm just quoting him. This past Thursday night, he ordained a man into the ministry. That he picked up on a bus in Bogalusa when he was four years old. But here is the burden of this message. Now, I need to be given a good what for. Last year, Sister Sheila, in our vision casting meeting in October, Sister Eton prepared food for that, and I deeply appreciate it. I believe Sister Sheila and Brother Mike served it, took care of all of that, and then sat in on the meeting. She said, when it's over, I've never seen anything like it. Never dreamed that all of this went into church planning and what have you. But once a year, I ask all of our department heads, usually in October, to come to a called meeting, and they have at least a month to prepare their vision for next year. Brother Gary and Sister Ashley showed up as our Sunday school administrators. They said last year in our vision casting meeting that their goal for this year, for 2014, was 100 kids in our Sunday school department, 12 and under. That's their goal. Well, we talked about it later. And he said, now, we'll put that on hold for a while because I know we don't have the staff, we don't have the room, the facility for 100 kids. And like some kind of idiot that just fell in from another world somewhere, I agreed. But in the past two or three weeks, man, it's been eating my lunch and I can't hardly stand it. I'm sorry I did that. I should have said, no way. No way. I don't care if we have teachers or not. I don't care if we have facility or not. You bring them. Let's grow our Sunday school department, Brother Gary. We'll find out something. We'll figure out a way. We'll get it done. So here today, by stepping out on sheer faith, and I'm dreaming, and I'm dreaming big, but I'm going to take his hand and Ashley's hand, and I want them to grow our Sunday school department to over 100 kids, 12 and under. We'll put them somewhere, and we'll teach them somehow. We'll do what we have to do. Praise the Lord. We'll do what we have to do. We'll get another van for Grace Reach, and we'll find some drivers. But I want to start dreaming again, and I want to dream big for the kingdom. I wished all of you had been on your feet in support of that. It would have made that job a whole lot easier. I'm not trying to be condemnatory, but folks, we've got to start dreaming again. We've got to start dreaming again. The outreach part of our vision focuses on reaching out through relationships. And the longer you're a Christian, the longer you're a Christian, the less non-Christians you're likely to have as friends, and I understand that. So we need to be reminded that relationships are the primary mechanism for sharing our faith in Jesus. So we must dream of our church being attended by unchurched people every week who are in the process of discovering a real relationship with Jesus. I'm trying to hurry. 
I read a statistic this past week that says, do you know that half of all people who are in church on any given Sunday in our country does not have a relationship with Jesus? So our passion is to be a church that strives to remove every barrier that keeps unchurched people from understanding and responding to the good news of Christ. I understand we live in different worlds even though we live in the same neighborhood, but somewhere we have to start connecting with people. Our dream is to be a church that works in partnership with its members, each member reaching out with the love of Christ to unchurched friends, neighbors, and backsliders and providing worship services to bring these people to something relevant to them. So it's really a partnership. And it works only if both sides of the partnership are working. So Brother Aaron, keep working Patrick and his family. Keep working with those people. Michelle, keep singing. Get on that committee and work it, man. Brother Gary, let's do this, man. Somehow. I don't know how, but we'll do it. We haven't had a need yet that God hasn't provided for. And he'll do it this time. Stand with me this morning. There's always tension between our vision and the way things are. And this is because if vision only described the status quo, it wouldn't be vision. So the disparity between vision and the status quo creates tension. It's like a rubber band that's being stretched. Someone told me one time, a minister friend that says when heaven expands, when the kingdom expands, it makes us stretch and it's uncomfortable and it's painful. And often we're tempted to let this tension pull the vision down to the status quo to soften the vision and to make it more palatable in the way things are. Instead, we should let the tension pull the way things are closer to the vision, creating the necessary changes in our lives that are needed to pull us towards what God has for us. I believe God wants to pull us closer to his vision in 2014. God wants a congregation of people that have a renewed vision for worship, prayer, service, and outreach. God calls us to let the vision between this vision and the way things are stretch us, pull us, excite us, fan the flame, so that once again we're burning brightly for the kingdom. So you'll notice today, That vision isn't renewed by just hearing a sermon or reading a book, but our vision for worship is renewed by actually worshiping. Our vision for prayer is actually renewed by praying. Our vision for service is renewed by actually using our gifts to serve. Our vision for outreach is renewed by actually testifying about Jesus. There's no no substitution for this action. We have to do it. And I'd like to know today how many of you are willing to renew your vision. I'm not asking for lip service. And really and truly, if all of you came and around this, the front, and we're going to have you do that in just a minute, but if everybody came and, and wept and cried, that would be awesome. But what you do tomorrow is what's going to matter. It's what you do next week and next month. That's what matters. That's where it counts. That's where it's the most important. I want to thank Sister Eton and Sister Sheila and others for feeding our Grace Reach kids every Sunday morning. They're, thank you for that. Thank you for that. They're incredibly modest people and they don't like their name called, so I ask them to forgive me. The Bible says to give honor where honor's due. And I want to thank every one of our Sunday school teachers. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank all of our ushers and musicians and singers and all of our department heads and our, our student pastor. And I want to thank all of you people, our, our hospitality people, our ushers and greeters. I want to thank all of you for what you do. And I deeply appreciate everything you do. 
I appreciate the loyalty and faithfulness of our trustee board. But I'm going to ask everybody in this church, every department head, every member, to become a minister and to understand it's time for Grace Church to start dreaming big, to start dreaming big again. Instead of looking for reasons why we can't, we need to start looking for reasons as to why we can't. I know the hour's late and I've preached too long. But my heart's full this morning. We've got to renew our vision. As the music's playing softly, I'm going to ask everybody to come gather up around the front. I want to ask you a question. Everybody's welcome to come. We're not going to embarrass you, put you on the spot. I just ask you to just come and step in just a show of unity and support. What can you do in your life? What can you do in your home? If there's people here today that don't attend church regularly, why don't you try it? Let that be a part of renewing your vision. There's people here this morning that just started coming to Grace. They just started attending Grace. We're glad to have Lori and Johnny. And there's some people here with them this morning. They will tell you their lives are getting summarily better every single day because they're bringing God back into their life, back into their home. What can you do as a family? What can you do as a person to renew your vision at home and for your life? What can you do that would make your life better? I want to say the more you become God-centered and God-focused and seek the kingdom first, then the better your life will be. I want us to take a moment here this morning and begin to express to God our commitment. I want us to make a covenant with God. We're going to start dreaming again, and we're going to dream big while they're singing. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands to heaven and say, we can do this.